0: Book of Proverbs chapter 8, that's where we're studying today, Proverbs chapter 8, and that's on page 631 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, Proverbs chapter 8, page 631 in the Pew Bibles, and let me read verses 1 to 5. It says in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1, Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud, To you, O oh men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. One time I was uh, I was going to a game at Fenway, and uh, I got off the Green Line and walked up the road with, you know, this thing where you walk up with like a million people. They're all walking to Fenway. They go whatever road that is where you cross over the Mass Pike and come down there. And uh, and if if you've done that before, you know it's really kind of like a carnival. There's all these people crowded together, and everyone's in high spirits. And there's all these people on the sides hawking various goods you know there's panhandlers asking for money and there's people selling t-shirts and trying to get tickets and sell tickets and there's people selling programs and there's sausage vendors and I love those I'm getting close to lunch here but I I love those sausages with like the the peppers just (laughs) piled on it it's terrible for you but I love those things and you know so I'm walking along with this one particular day um, I, I made the mistake of wearing this jacket somebody had given me. It was kind sort of like kind of a joke gift, but it had my name embroidered on it. So I'm wearing this, and suddenly the guys who are asking for money go, Hey, hey, Jeremy! Jeremy, can you spare a dollar? You know, Jeremy, do you, need a, do you need a program, Jeremy? And I'm like, "What? do I know you? And I'm like, oh, stupid, you know. And <laughs> I was kind of thinking, like, that's kind of a picture, you might say, of what it's like to live in a hyper- commercialized culture like ours is where we have taken uh, marketing to the ultimate heights that has ever been taken before it's just like things are always calling out to us hey you need this you need to purchase that I mean, it's, it's a, a cacophony of voices calling out to us all the time uh, do this next time you go to the mall maybe you go to like South Shore Plaza or Independence Mall or wherever you go when you go shopping at the mall I want you to do an experiment stand at one end of the mall and start walking And I want you to try to count how many different advertisements you see as you walk. You know, pictures, products, signs, uh, specials, promotional sales. I I don't think it could be done. I think it would be so overwhelming that you would lose track. Like, did I count that? Does that count for two or three? There's actually there's four of them actually there. I think it would be difficult to do. And, And that's how it is. You watch television and you turn on the TV uh, seven and a half minutes at regular intervals come the commercial breaks. And even in the TV shows now, the new marketing technique is product placement within the actual program itself. So there's the, the main character in the drama. And, you know, he's talking and suddenly he goes like that and he's holding a Coke. It is very di- conspicuously displayed. So even in the TV shows, product placement is a, a new strategy. Uh, somehow they found my email address, when I get to work in the morning, I have to say, no, I don't want a Rolex. No, I don't need a loan. Uh, you know, no, delete, delete, delete. And as if we're not bombarded enough with constant calls upon our life, we decided that we needed cell phones. So now we're in the car taking a call, hoping someone will call us in the car because we're bored, while listening to a call-in show on the radio with different voices coming at us and looking at all of the products and you know stores that are around us. Uh, our uh, director of ministry support, Phil Kane, he told me he went up to Maine last weekend for uh, just to get away with his wife. And he said when he got there, his ears were ringing because it was so quiet. <laughs> you, you know, you've ever done that? Like, you're so much here, and then you go someplace where there isn't noise and your ears hurt. You're like, what is that I'm hearing? Oh, it's silence. I'm, I'm so not used to being bombarded with calls upon our lives all the time. Um, That shapes us in certain ways. That constant pressure from marketing, I think, has uh, an impact upon our souls and the way we view reality. Uh, And we could talk about this. You know, That would just be an interesting topic, I think, to discuss. But, you know, for instance, David Wells, I think, has argued very well that one of the reasons we live in a morally relativistic culture is in large part due to the marketing. We're constantly faced with the choice, and we see reality as a bunch of choices that we as a consumer make. And so, when it comes to moral things or spiritual things, we just take that right over there. We say, okay, I'm the consumer and there's different moralities and none of them are absolutely right. They're just different products and one of them works for me and that one's opposite and that works for you. And so it leads to a kind of relativistic thinking. I think another effect that uh, marketing has on us is it gives us the power to tune things out because you have to to survive. You know, when's the last time you went to the grocery store and were aware of all the marketing? You're not. That's why you can't take kids to the grocery store. Because you're trying to get things done, and they're like, oh, I you know, and they haven't learned. It's like, what are you looking at? Oh, yeah, there's boxes of cereal. I didn't even see those. You've tuned them out, but they haven't learned the power yet of how to tune things out. They, their souls haven't been shaped enough by the culture. They will be, but not yet. And so, um, you know, we have these abilities that come with a commercialized culture. The problem is, what happens when the voice speaks? that we actually do need to listen to. We tune it out. The voice that is not one relative choice among many, that's not simply one brand of cereal on the shelf, but it's the voice that is absolute, that if you don't listen to that voice, you're in huge trouble. That's not dependent upon my consumeristic whims. What about that voice calling out to us? And that's the voice we're reading about here in Proverbs. It's the voice... Of wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 8 verse 1. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? So here we are in Proverbs for those of you who are just joining us, we started a new sermon series last Sunday in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be here for a while studying this great Old Testament book, and it's all about wisdom. And if you remember from last Sunday, we talked about what wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to live a godly life, wisdom is the ability to make choices in navigating life in a way that honors and pleases and glorifies god that 's what wisdom is it 's about how to do life uh, as we talked about last Sunday. Wisdom is not intelligence; wisdom is not education. you can be highly you can be mensa <laughs> and you can have a degree from Oxford and Harvard and be a complete fool <laughs> and wreck your life uh, it 's entirely possible. people do it all the time. Uh, So wisdom is not being smart or well-educated, although those are good things, but wisdom is knowing how to live life in such a way that you glorify and honor God. And so here is wisdom in the book of Proverbs calling out to us. And what we find in Proverbs chapter 8 is uh, the literary device of personification. Uh, the, The author here has taken Proverbs and personified Proverbs as if it's a woman calling out to anyone who will listen so now we, instead of just kind of wisdom as an abstraction, this is lady wisdom calling out to us to kind of make it more concrete and memorable. And so here's wisdom. She calls out. And the thing that I notice about wisdom's call in verses 2 to 5, and I think this is the main point of verses 2 and 5, is that the call goes out to everybody. Anybody and everybody can hear the call of wisdom. Notice again, look at verse 2. Where does she stand? She's on the heights along the way, along the road. So she's up high so everyone can see her. She's where the paths meet. She's at the crossroads. She takes her stand there. She's beside the gates leading into the city. At the entrances, she cries aloud. So, uh, to find wisdom, you'd go to the major thoroughfares. That's where she is. She's among the ordinary people. She's readily accessible. If we we're going to write this Proverbs 8 today in kind of modern Boston language, we'd say maybe, you know, wisdom takes her stand at the Park Street Tea stop Wisdom stands at Rose Wharf as the commuters come off the boat. Wisdom is at the Hanover Mall at the, I don't know, what's the thing in the middle where like there's seats and there's, flowers and plants, whatever, that central place, that's where she is. And as shoppers are walking by, she's calling out to people to get their attention. To find wisdom, you don't have to go to an elite Ivy League school. To find wisdom, you don't have to climb a mountain in the Himalayas to find some Tibetan monk who's fasting up on some ancient temple. It's accessible to everybody. She stands there ready for anyone to hear her. Notice what she says in verse 4. She says, To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. This is for everybody. Even the most simple people, verse 5. You who are simple gain prudence. You who are foolish gain understanding. So I think the presupposition here is that we all need wisdom. Wisdom because otherwise she wouldn't be offering it so broadly, but apparently we need it. And that's really the assumption of the Bible, is that we're all fools unless we gain wisdom. The children are born foolish, and unless they gain wisdom, they will stay foolish their whole lives. They'll just grow up to be adults who never really grew up, and they never learned how to live the way God wants them to live. And so we're all fools in need of God's wisdom. Unless, uh, and so wisdom says to all people, seek it. And it's accessible. That's the great thing. Anybody can have it. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to have an education to be wise. You can find it here in the book of Proverbs. I talked to a brother last Sunday, and uh, he told me what he did to seek wisdom. He said he decided that one year he, he was going to turn off the TV, and so for a whole year he just stopped watching television, and instead, in the time that he was uh, would typically watch TV, he started reading Proverbs. He did that for a whole... I mean, I was like, that was pretty cool. But then what struck me about that was, this is what struck me, is I was like, anyone could do that. <laughs> you don't have to have an education to that. Okay, how much education do you need to pick up your clicker and hit off? Right? <laughs> and then, how much education does it take then to open up Proverbs and read? I mean, it's so simple. It's very simple kind of writing. Anybody can do it. The wisdom of God's Word is accessible. Proverbs stands calling out to anybody... Who will hear? There's nobody here that this is not for, including, especially myself. I need Proverbs wisdom as well. So you have a, a good job, and you have a bachelor's degree, or maybe you have a master's degree. You have uh, a car, you have money, but can I ask you this morning do you have wisdom? Do you have wisdom? You know how to work uh, a DVD player. You know how to do MySpace and Facebook, and you know how to Google things, and you know how to text people on your cell phone. You have a lot of technical knowledge, and so do I. But do we know how to live the right way that God wants us to live? That's the question. You know, the, the question that Proverbs is asking us is, do we really have wisdom? Um, uh, you know, do, have you struggled in your life and made some dents and dings in your life because of choices you've made? Do you find that you really have a problem with alcohol? That's addressed in wisdom. Do you find that you, um, you have difficulties in your marriage? Uh, you have difficulties relating to your spouse or with parenting? Do you find that you struggle in relationships in general? Do you see a, a pattern of broken relationships in your life, in family and in work and other places? Um, Do you find uh, it's difficult to manage money? Do you have a struggle with that? Do you you get yourself in trouble a lot with the things you say? (laughs) Do you open your mouth a lot and find your foot in it frequently? Do you find that you shoot yourself in the foot a lot or you trip over yourself because of your arrogance or your temper or your uh, impulsivity or lack of self-control? These are all wisdom issues. We all need wisdom. How to live life in a way that honors God. And most of all, when we look in our hearts, do we find ourselves desiring wisdom above all else? Do we have a hunger and a thirst for the wisdom that God provides? And so, this is a challenge, and it's a call, and it's an open invitation for anybody to receive God's wisdom. So that's the main point of the chapter. The rest of the chapter, verses 6 to 36, is an extended argument for why we should seek wisdom. It's a list of incentives. As if the brokenness and bankruptcy of our culture would not be enough incentive to seek wisdom. As if the mess I make in my own life would not be enough incentive to seek wisdom. If that's not enough for you, well great. I've got 30 more verses here that are all uh, uh, arguments for why we need to seek wisdom. And I'm not going to uh, go into it in great detail, but I'd just like to quickly survey the arguments here. And basically there's four reasons in verses 6 to 36, we're going to move through it quickly, of why we should seek wisdom. And there are four, four reasons. I've uh, cleverly labeled them all with a word that starts with the letter P. So that's what preachers do. We, we like to alliterate. I don't know why we have a need to do this, but we do. So you're helping me meet my preaching needs. So I appreciate that. So four uh, four reasons all starting with the letter P. And the first is this. We should seek God's wisdom because God's wisdom is... Pure. That's the first word. It's pure. Uh, look at verse 6. Notice the adjectives used to describe wisdom's teaching. Verse 6 says, Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My lips speak what is true. My lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge so wisdom's words are pure they're true again living in a commercialized culture one of the things that it, it does to you is it teaches you how to be a skeptic in fact skepticism is chic today believing things is naive but if you're skeptic and cynical that's cool that's hip And so we've learned to be skeptical. Because when you're hit with so many advertisements, you have to learn to process it and say, oh yeah, that's a bunch of baloney there, and "Ah, there's got to be some catch over here, and where's the fine print? And so it's this kind of ironic thing that, on the one hand, we're made into consumers, but on the other hand, uh, we're skeptical of the advertisements that are coming our way. So we live in this kind of mental paradox about how to deal with, the the calls and the appeals that are coming at us. And so we're skeptical. We're skeptical of the products. We're skeptical of politics. We're skeptical of the church. (laughs) What does a pastor really want? I mean, he's got got to have some agenda up there. Um, You know, we have all these questions and doubts and suspicions. And you know what? Rightly so. Because everything in this world is in some way or another tainted. It is a broken world. Uh, every product that you get on TV that you buy from television, I'm telling you, it's not going to make you as happy as the commercial made out to look like. You're not going to have the joy and fulfillment that the people on TV seem to express. Obviously, you know that. Uh, Politicians, you know, I'm not totally against politics, but at the same time, we we all know that, that that's a slippery area. You have to be careful there. And so if you put all of your hope for the world in candidates and in politicians, you know, you're misguided. Because there's, they're flawed people. And you know what? The church is flawed too. And, and I say that as a churchman. I love the church of Jesus Christ. I'm committed to the church. I believe that this is the focal point of where God is working in the world is through His people. Uh, I, I believe that to really grow in your faith, you need to be part of a Bible-believing church. I think that's fundamental to growing in Christ, that you really can't do that solo Lone Ranger. But having said that, even I will say, yeah, the church is flawed. And every church you go into is going to have people and it's going to disappoint you. I I will disappoint you at some point, even unintentionally, because I'm a sinful human being myself. I'm not infallible. The church is not infallible. The Pope is not infallible. Bishops are not infallible. Creeds are not infallible. Denominations are not infallible. But there is only one thing then that is pure that you can trust that you can hold in your hands and know that it's not going to have errors and problems and, and hiccups and hidden agendas. It's the Word of God. It's the one thing. That's why I keep coming back to it because everything keeps disappointing me especially myself. When I open up this book I never get disappointed. It speaks truth. It pierces my heart. That's so why we have to keep coming back to God's Word as a church because the wisdom that comes from the Word of God is pure. And so seek God's wisdom. It's pure. Secondly, is the second one, is that it's precious. God's Word is precious. It's pure and it's precious. Look at verse 10. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. That was a memory verse for today I gave you last Sunday. Did anyone memorize it, by the way? Any bold souls out there? Ready to go. You know, you know what I did in the first service? I had one guy stand up and recite it. So, Okay, I won't do it. Right, so. <laughs> All people raise their hands are like, dang it! I'm not going to do it. All right, but that's the memory verse. And look, it's talking about the preciousness of wisdom. It's more precious than gold, silver, rubies. So in other words, what it's saying is, if somebody came to you and said, all right, I'll give you a choice. You can have $250 million tax-free right now. Or wisdom. This is saying it's a no-brainer. You pick wisdom. That's how precious it is. It's so vital to understand how to live God's way. It reminds me of King Solomon. Uh, the story in 1 Kings chapter 3 where King Solomon uh, was visited by God when he became king in a dream and God said, make a wish. Kind of like the genie in the lamp. Make a wish, King Solomon. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And King Solomon could have picked wealth, he could have picked power, success, and instead King Solomon said, I want wisdom to lead this people as the king. And God said, ding ding, right choice. You made the right choice. Which raises the question, why is wisdom so important? 250 million dollars, you know, I could hire a Tibetan monk to live with me and teach me wisdom or, or something. I mean, I, I could do really, I think I could purchase some wisdom with that kind of money. Um, so, why is wisdom so precious? It's because, it's because the wisdom of God's Word gives life. And you can't buy life. How much money would you give for your life? How much money would you give for the life of your children? You'd give all kinds of money. I mean, what is life worth? Life is precious. Look at verse 35. Here's why wisdom is more precious than money. It says, For whoever finds me, finds Life. And receives favor from the Lord. It reminds me of a passage in the Gospel of Luke. I miss Luke. Ah, let's go back there. All right, put a bookmark. I need to go back to my friend Luke for a minute. Turn back. Put a bookmark here in Proverbs and go back to Luke chapter 12. There's this great little parable that Jesus tells that talks about the, the value of life versus the value of money and how you can compare the two. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse um, 16. It's on page... I don't know what page it's on. I didn't write that down. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. It says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So this guy's kind of hit the lottery and he has all the money. And so he follows worldly wisdom and he says, well, what do you do when you have all this money? You retire early, early retirement, you golf and you take it easy and you've won at the game of life. But what does God say verse 20? God said to him, you, what? Fool. That's wisdom language. You're fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you and then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You know, someday it'll happen. To me, it'll happen to you. We will close our eyes. And when we open our eyes, we're going to be on the other side. And then when we there, we're going to stand in front of the God who made us. And God's going to go, well, and... And if all you have, if your best thing you're going to say at that point is, well, look at my net worth, you're done. You're so lost. You know, your money won't matter at all at that point. Trying to rely upon your wealth in the presence of a holy God is, is like trying to protect yourself from a nuclear blast with a Kleenex. You know, <laughs> look at my wealth. <laughs> <clears throat> Gone. We live under the condemnation of a holy God. As I said before, we're all fools. We're all sinners. There's nobody here who can stand before God and say, you know, wow, I'm decent. You know, I did this and I did that. And look at my resume. Nah, forget it. We are lost sinners under the judgment of God. But there is one thing that is precious enough to save on that day. And it's not the preciousness of gold, silver, and rubies. It's the preciousness of the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. And It is only the precious blood of Jesus that can shield and cleanse us so that we can stand on that great day of judgment. Do you have Christ? Do you have His salvation? He saves. He gives life. He is precious. So choose wisdom, going back to Proverbs 8, because it's pure, because it's precious. Number three, it's powerful. And, and here I think we're talking about the... Blessings that wisdom gives in this life. Yes, it blesses us in the world to come, but also in this life. Uh, verse 14 of Proverbs 8, Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me princes govern and all nobles who rule the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. And so there's also a sense in which wisdom blesses us in this life. And again, let's be clear, this is not a mathematical formula. This is not saying, if I read three chapters of Proverbs a day, then God will do X and give me X amount of money. It's not a formula. This is not the prosperity gospel. But generally speaking, if we pursue the way of wisdom, it's the way of, of, uh, some, of having a great chance of blessing in this life in different kinds of ways. God's Word is powerful in this life as well. And then moving on, the last one. So we have God's word is uh, pure. Uh, God's wisdom is pure. It is priceless, uh, precious. It is uh, powerful. And then the fourth one, um, I had originally, that God's word is, uh, his wisdom is prior. But after the service, my wife slipped me a piece of paper and said, no, prehistoric. I was like, oh, that's good. Prehistoric. Prehistoric. that was, I should have consulted her first yet again. Uh, so Proverbs 8, verse 22 to 31 talks about the prehistoric nature of God's Word. In other words, it goes way back before any history, before the world was even created. It's an ancient wisdom. Uh, And so we started with wisdom kind of on the streets talking to us, but now we see wisdom going way back in time. The wisdom was there when God made the world. Look at verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of His works before His deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the earth. So it's prehistoric, it's ancient, it goes way back. You know, when I read that, it reminded me of um, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you know the Lord of the Rings story or the movies, Gandalf is this wizard, but when he comes to the Shire where the hobbits live, they all think he's just some weirdo. They, they're like, oh, he's a strange guy who comes to the Shire. And they're like, look, he, he's this strange wizard who we don't really understand him. And, and we're into the common sense things like farming and growing our crops and going to the pub and singing and just having a normal average life. Don't get involved with crazy wizards. Uh, and I think that's how some people view the Bible. It's like life is about just making money, getting kids to soccer, going to school... You know, this is the Bible, and it's kind of weird. I don't know, there's some crazy old stuff in it. I don't really understand it. But what you find out as you read The Lord of the Rings or watch the movie is that Gandalf is not just some sort of strange vagabond, but he's actually very ancient. He's like, I think in the stories, he's like 3,500 years old or something. He's this ancient being who has lived through the rise and fall of mankind and has seen it all, and he's really this immensely powerful source of wisdom and the things he has to say are not just stories but he's actually in tune with what's really going on in the world and the more that they hang out with Gandalf they're like oh wow this guy really knew what he was talking about and the same thing you know we look at this Bible we're like this old thing you know the last book here was written in the, the first century A.D. I mean what could this have to say in the modern world but then the more I read it the more I'm like wow somehow this ancient book speaks to my modern soul more than anything in the modern world does and I go, there's something going on here. It's ancient. God's Word and His wisdom is ancient. It was before the world. And notice this, going back to Proverbs 8, that wisdom was part of the creation process. In other words, wisdom is part and parcel of the universe. Look at verse uh, 27. He says, I w-, She says, I was there when He set the heavens in place when He marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when He established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when He gave the sea its boundaries so waters would not overstep His command, when He marked out the foundations of the earth. Get this, verse 30. Then I was the craftsman at His side. So wisdom is actually in some way part of creation. And again, this is just a personification. There isn't actually a literal goddess wisdom who is making this. It's not some sort of pagan theology. It's a personification. But I think the point of it is, getting back to our main question of why should we seek wisdom, seek it because it's uh, pure, precious, powerful. And I think the point here is seek wisdom because wisdom is in some way um, baked into creation. That wisdom is uh, part of the universe. Like the universe is made up of three things, matter, energy, and wisdom. in, In a sense. You know, trying to articulate this so that so that to live in this world it's a fundamentally a moral world and to live by God's laws means that you live in this world the right way and that's not how we usually think is it we usually put these two in separate categories over here is science and physics and chemistry and biology and that's the world we can see and then over here is faith religion Jesus the Bible and wisdom and they're these two worlds and they don't deal with each other but of course, we know that's not true. There're not two worlds. there's one world, and it's integrated and it's all together, so that to live in this world by God's wisdom, it kind of works, I mean, for lack of a better term. It, it's living the way God intended to, for us to live. Or to put it another way, if I could put it in a rather more shocking kind of way, at least shocking in terms of our current cultural context, this is what I would say: There's a right way to live. And there's a wrong way to live and it's not dependent on what you and I think. There is a right way to live that is right for all people in all cultures at all times. And there's a wrong way to live that is wrong and destructive for all people, all cultures, all times. Then morality is not random and and relative but it is objective and real despite our own personal beliefs. It's kind of like the law of gravity. Right? We're not relativists about the law of gravity. We, we don't step out of a window and say, okay, I'm on the sixth floor and I'm going to step out of this window. But you know, uh, you know, gravity is just not true for me. I mean, I understand that's some, that some people's personal belief and I respect those beliefs and I'm tolerant of all beliefs. But, you know, for me, gravity is really not true. I, I just don't really... And so you step out of the window because it's not true for you. And you know what happens? Splat! Same thing if you violate God's laws. You say, well, that, that doesn't apply to me. I, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. If you go against God's laws, it, it wrecks your life. Splat! Whether you believed it or not. Whether you even knew it or not. You don't have to be, have you know, been told the acceleration due to gravity to have, feel the effects of gravity. You don't have to be told that God's laws. You know, Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. And if you do those things, splat! It's just the way the world works. And maybe some of us have gone splat. I know I have in different ways. We break God's laws. We do our own thing and splat. And some of us, you know, you get older. You're like in your 40s or 50s or 60s. And, you know, you're kind of like, what what happened to my life? It went splat. I thought I was on the right track, but I'm not. Maybe I wasn't on the right track at all. And the encouraging thing I have to say to you and to myself today is that wisdom still calls out. That no matter where you are and no matter how big the splat, wisdom is calling out. And there's still opportunity to heed the call of wisdom. She stands at the crossroads. She's at the city gates. She's crying out to anybody who will just turn off the world for a second and listen to her and what she has to say. And this is the real cool thing. It's kind of the clincher here and I'll, I'll end with this. I could go on on, but let me just end with this one. You know, in the book of Proverbs, we have wisdom personified and it's really cool. But you know, in the New Testament, we have wisdom incarnate. Not just a literary device, but a living person named Jesus. It says in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I think of Jesus. He's pure. He's never sinned. He's righteous. I think of Jesus as precious. He's worth more than anything in the world. Whatever you need to sell or do to get Jesus, do it. You need Jesus, and I need Him. And Jesus is powerful. And Jesus is prehistoric. (laughs) He wasn't just baked into the principles of creation. He is the Creator in human flesh. And just as Lady Wisdom calls, Jesus calls and His arms are extended and His hands have nail prints. And He says, I shed My blood so that you, despite all of your failings, can be forgiven and come back to God. No matter how big your splat, the good news is, that Jesus' blood was splattered to cover our sins so that through Christ, we who were once far from God can be brought back into the presence of God. And so wisdom calls out and Jesus calls out, calling all who will come to Him and be saved. No matter who you are, no matter what your background, where you've been, there is forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love You. We worship You. We thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God, for the forgiveness that You've extended me despite how short I've fallen of Your plan. I thank You for the Holy Spirit that we read about in the book of Acts that lives inside of us now as Christians. And Lord, I thank You for the, the grace that You extend to us and that no matter where we are, no matter how far down the wrong path we've gone, Lady Wisdom is there calling out and Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit is calling out. Help us, Lord, to turn to You, to believe in You and trust You. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here today who is looking for direction, who feels lost. Lord, I just pray, Jesus, they would hear Your voice. They would experience Your grace and forgiveness. And Lord, for all of us, help us just to get back on the path. Maybe we've been Christians for 20 years, but somehow we we kind of got distracted. God, bring us back to Yourself and give us the wisdom that You talk about in this book. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen we come out of the communion table, and uh, Kent Forkner is one of the elders here in the church, one of the leaders in our church, and he is going to uh, lead us in the Lord's Supper this morning. So, Kent, thanks, brother.
1: Kent Forkner, one of the elders here at South Shore Baptist, and it's my privilege, my deep privilege, to uh, lead you in uh, communion this morning, the Lord's Supper. So I was thinking about wisdom and how God's wisdom is given to us and it calls out to us. I found a verse in uh, the book of Ephesians, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, the first chapter, verses 7 and 8, I'll read from that. It speaks of God's wisdom that he gives us in looking at our own sin. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom. And understanding that verse really speaks to me that even even as we approach this table uh, God gives us wisdom to see our sin and our need for him and uh, the the death his death and the cross his son's death on the cross and we're so thankful for that and as we come before this table I just ask that you'd be thinking thinking of that and asking God for his wisdom would the elders please join me Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, which He had given. Th- when He had given thanks, He broke it, and said, "This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me." Eldon, would you please give thanks for the bread? Let us pray. My gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank You for.
0: The uh, sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that, that you are willing to come to
1: earth to live as a man to show us the love of God, to bring us the word of God, and then go to the cross and die for our sins. Lord, we just ask that you would give us your wisdom, that
0: you would help us, Lord, to live the life the way you would have us to do, and help us to grow uh, deeper in wisdom each day. Thank you, Lord, for that broken body, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Here at South Shore Baptist communion table is open. For those of you who don't know Christ as your personal Savior, though, I'd ask you to please participate just by observing. As the elders pass the bread, I ask for you to be in prayer, asking for God's wisdom to see your own sin, our own sin, and to repent of that sin.